0: Hello everyone and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. I'm Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. A very rainy Dallas, Texas I might add. And uh, I am so blessed to be living in Texas in the middle of the month of August. Having temperatures in the upper 70s and low 80s plenty of rain, I'm just glorying in the blessing of God, and I trust that you are seeing the Lord do great things in the place where you live, and that you are faithfully serving our Father in his calling to us to be sons and saints. I think anybody who is paying attention at all can see the horrific scenarios that are playing themselves in front of our very eyes in places around the world. And there is a great measure of consternation in the world today, uh, things are just really troubling in a lot of ways, while at the same time, we who are people of God are enjoying His goodness and His kindness. Now, I, I recognize that each one of us has had things which we've had to overcome. But the point is that the scripture tells us many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. I recognize in my life that we have, uh, I have encountered a lot of horrific oppositions over the past year or two. None of them really related to COVID. We've been managing and improvising and going around restrictions to continue ministry here in our church and to, to our, uh, our responsibilities in the world, but in every one of those challenges that I've faced or that my family has faced or that my church has faced, God has delivered us out of them all. And the thing about overcoming is that you generally gain a crown of some sort. And um, so I'm not saying that if you're facing an issue right now that, you know, see, God's really not blessing. God is blessing in incredible ways. We just need to stay firm and uh, committed to what he has given us to do. Today, I felt led to consider some passages that address the times of the end, times which I truly believe we're living in right now and uh, we've got a lot to cover today so I'm going to forego the opportunity of regaling you about things that I've seen during my 60 plus years on earth in regard to eschatological teaching or teaching of the end time I have seen and studied so many different outlines of what God just had to do when you take the scriptures and put them in certain ways. And there have been so many times when the Lord had to come within the next year or two. And of course, we're all still here. I remember being in seminary and uh, not so much in Bible college because that was more straight line teaching from uh, a, a fundamental viewpoint of Scripture. But I remember being in seminary studying the Book of Daniel, the Book of Revelation, and our instructors, my instructor, who basically wrote several of the um, of the uh, the doctrinal positions and. Uh, Uh, scholastic materials for colleges in the movement I was in readily admitted that there's a lot of information here, but we really cannot say when or the progression in which things are going to happen. Anybody anybody who says that uh, with uh, anybody who makes such claims about, well, it's going to happen here, and here's this, and here's that, has to be ashamed by now. I remember something that Bill Hammond said, that the, and he was joking, of course, that the passage of Scripture in Revelation where there says there's silence in heaven for 30 minutes was afforded by the Lord so that all the prophecy teachers could update their charts. And I thought that was really funny, so much so that I've remembered it. But even though we believe the Word of God is true, and we do, and even though we read passages where we don't really understand the time pattern the time patterns and what certain things are going to mean when they actually reveal themselves we do have specific directives in the midst of those passages that give us assurance and instruct us, particularly intercessors and the saints, as to what we should be doing and what our role is before God in this flowing point of eschatological literature. So, as I said, we've got a lot to cover here. There's an outline for you And uh, this is fresh off the presses. I studied this yesterday and today. It's fresh meat, so please forgive me for not having it laid out like uh, preachers who spend eight weeks preparing for one message do. I bless them. But the way the Lord deals with us as saints is we open our mouth and we fill it. We study to show ourselves approved workmen that need not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word word of truth and God drops things before us we do our best to diligently portray things uh, in scriptural order and veracity and verity and um, that's what we're going to do today so in the outline you have we have an extended passage of scripture from the apostle Paul 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12. through 12. Let's look at this signature passage. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, now let's stop right there and let's, let's put in place what he says about being shaken in mind. Let's look at that first. This shaken is to be toppled, to have something like an, in an earthquake, like what we've recently seen in Haiti, where things are shaken and they fall apart and they collapse down. Paul warns us not to allow our mind, our thinking, which is where we get into a lot of trouble if we're not careful, we should not allow ourselves to be toppled by the things we see going on around us or the spiritual pressures we feel or the uh, exertions of intercession that God uh, presents before us as our reasonable service. So we've just got to make sure that no matter what happens, we don't let our mind uh, punt on second down, that we don't give up, that we don't say, oh, I don't know. A lot of people did that after uh, the recent political Uh, decisions that were made. And they were so sure in their mind that this and this and this had to happen. Well, there were things that I wanted to happen and that I knew should happen to keep our nation on course that didn't happen. And some, when they saw that, they just collapsed. I don't understand how God... If you ever begin a sentence by saying, I don't understand how God... You better put the lock on your lips right then because whatever else is going to come out is not going to be from him. And if you allow yourselves to be shaken in mind, and I'm speaking to myself here, you will lose because the mind is always going to be grappling with the things that the spirit is saying. The scripture says it's at enmity regularly. And the natural mind with the things of the spirit so you got to keep your mind in check your thinking your perceptions the the way that you deduce um measures of uh depiction of what's actually going on because really things are happening so quickly that if you don't stay in the spirit you're going to be of all people most miserable So, don't be shaken in mind. And if you have been shaken in mind, dig yourself out from the rubble and get back on the course. And don't let it happen again. And remember, I don't understand how God should be stricken from your expression vocabulary. Okay? Next he says, don't be you know when he says soon it means easily and that can easily be said that you need to gird yourself up so you'll be able to resist that temptation when it comes do not be troubled this is to become agitated to clamor to wail neither by spirit or by logos or by letters as from us. What's he mean by that? These are three influences. Um, the first is there are spiritual influences that come against you. If you don't realize that, you better wake up. I have felt them and tried to communicate and warn regarding several of them that are very powerful that try to come against you the saints have tried to come against me, have tried to chart like a wind in my sails my course uh, for the Lord in a, in a way that was <clears throat> uh, deliberately against what God would want me to be and to do. Word, logos, to me, I think that means you need to hold on to the Word of God, and you don't need to allow yourself or people who should know better from attempting to um, to defame the word of God or your confidence in it that is a major strategy of the enemy right now a major strategy from many different angles and you better hold on you better stay on that rock you better do it I don't know how else to say it nor by letter as from us, as from us. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, a young pastor in Ephesus, and in the very beginning of his first epistle, he said, you guard against other doctrines that would come in. I, I, honestly, I've, I've never really understood this. I, I've never really understood what God has shown to us in the faith once delivered to the saints, what God has shown to us in his word is very clear. And, and I just don't, I've never understood how people can abandon a very clear biblical mandate delivered to you in a calling of the saints. And some other wacky doctrine comes along, and I've seen many of them, they always have to do with what you've been trying ain't working. If you do this, you'll get God to do what you've wanted him to do all along. That's always the agenda. And every one of these doctrines blows up and people are just blown about by it, by every wind of doctrine, James warned. And Paul says, you better wise up. Those three things are key in the last days. So just to reiterate, watch out against spiritual influences. Watch out against things that would try to uh, destroy your appreciation and your reliance upon the Word of God. And watch out for other doctrines that you might be willing to accept as an apostolic directive from you. how many of those do you need anyway? How many times do you need a prophetic word to tell you who you are and what you're supposed to do once you've found it you better about get about the business of doing it and uh, as Morgan Freeman said in Shawshank Redemption, you better get about the business, get busy living or get busy dying. You got to get busy doing what God has said for you to do. And when it gets rough, don't jump off the ship and start looking for something else that you think might fulfill you. And don't be shaken in mind. And don't be troubled. Those are, if we stopped right there, that would be a good set of warnings for us in the end time. Stop trying to figure out when. Jesus is coming, who the Antichrist is, it's a fool's errand. Not even Jesus said he knew. Only the Father knows. So why are you trying to do something that he said he wasn't, as a son, as the son, wasn't able to do? If Jesus, as the son, couldn't do it, I dare say you and me won't be able to. Or you and I. How's that? I was uh, looking yesterday, I said this on Saints Radio, uh, just getting a picture, I wasn't trying to get words from anybody, I just thought, I've done a study about Afghanistan in the scripture, and I recognize that it's really not spoken. And so I thought, I wonder what all the prophetic gurus are saying. So I looked, and all of them were saying that what I had sensed in from the scripture was, was true. But then they added their own caveats. One guy said he had it all figured out what was going to happen in the Middle East, and he built it off Psalm 83. Don't read it now. But, you know, you really have to be grasping at straws to try to figure out exactly what's going to happen when. You know, all the time when I was growing up, the Antichrist was going to be the Pope or Tony Blair or... Or earlier than that, Gorbachev, or Stalin, or Hitler, or um, Obama, or uh, did I mention Tony Blair already? I mean, it's just been a cavalcade of these things. And um, I, uh, and of course, the uh, the time of his coming has been everywhere. And you know, at those days, we didn't even know about the rise of China. We didn't have any clue about these caliphates that were arising. ISIS wasn't on the radar. Al-Qaeda wasn't on the radar. Taliban wasn't on the radar. So all of a sudden now all these influences are here and I don't know what that says about people who absolutely knew what was going to happen during all those other decades in my life. So we need to just take what we do know and be faithful in it, and use these scriptures, just like God has done in every other way. Do what you know you're supposed to do in them, and when the Spirit says, okay, we're entering into this time, he he will enlighten certain passages, and he will illuminate them, and let us see them as a rhema for the moment. That's the way we've walked as saints throughout these 20 plus years, and that's the way we're going to continue to move. So let's continue reading here in 2 Thessalonians. Um, For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Falling away is apostasy or defection. We've already seen that, not just individually we see that in churches not that they're the the dead in christ or the frozen chosen those were catchphrases we used to joke about many years ago but we've seen major denominations some of them that were birthed out of the fires of passion for the holy ghost and witnessing to the world we've seen them not just become cold But we've seen them embrace apostasy and defection. I never thought I would see that. And I could give illustrations of it, but you're as well aware of them as as I am. But we're already seeing this. Now, what we haven't seen is the man of sin, Hamartia, to, to be devoted to miss the mark, He's going to be revealed according, revealed as Apocalypto, according to the overall timetable of God. Now, while I believe that we have transitioned, that page has turned in some major ways, um, I'm not, I, don't know, I don't know who exactly this individual will be, and I'm not asking for suggestions. Because if you're going to give me some, that means you haven't been listening at all to what we've said thus far. It says that he's the son of perdition and that's a clue because perdition there is apoleia, which is ruin or loss. And this gives us a clue. Whatever this individual is going to be, it's going to be a man, it's going to be in God's timetable, but he's going to be the son. He's going to be birthed out of. He's going to gain power... Based upon ruin or loss, there's going to be some type of thing, some type of ruinous condition or some kind of incredible loss on a worldwide scale that is going to birth this dude. We're seeing conditions that are are attempting to rush into... Uh, connectivity that might create this kind of calamity. We're already seeing a pandemic. We're seeing it worldwide, and we're seeing governments bow and scrape and buy into all kinds of nonsense and try to control their people and gain uh, authority over them in ways that a a democratic society never should afford. Uh, This crisis is not being wasted by those that want to gain more control over you. And I'm not going down that conspiratorial time frame. But what I'm saying is we're seeing a lot of factors right now that are setting the stage for some kind of a calamity, some kind of a ruinous thing that is going to shake this world. And according to God's timetable, and we have to see the, re- the revealing of it, the apocalypto, means that God hasn't lost control I don't know how God could, you know, God hasn't lost control. It's according to his timetable. But when this ruinous thing happens, this individual will rise. He'll be a son of that. So I don't believe we've seen that yet, but I, I think we're the world is running as fast as it can to get in line for it to happen. I better go on here. We'll never get finished with the other warnings in Scripture. This individual will oppose and exalt himself against all that is called God. We're already seeing that. We see listen in all this study I've done recently about progressive ideologies and in academia and in the way it's trickled down through uh, idiotus in the church they are opposing and exalting themselves above all that is called God, all that God has put in motion. That people look to and say, "God has set this in motion." This guy is whoever he will be, or he's a man. Uh, is going to um, is going to use the steps that are being paved right now of this. And he will be as God, sitting in the temple of God, showing that he himself is God. Now, whether that is a spiritual in in heavenly places, um, or whether it will actually be there in Jerusalem, I don't know. All of you Red Heifer theologians... You probably have a couple little calves that have been born, and you're saying, see, see, here it is. This is a warning. I don't know how many of those I've seen over the decades, but it always plays well because, you know, as uh, I don't know whether it was Petey Barnum or I don't think it was him, even though he probably believed this, there's a sucker born every minute. So just just do what you're supposed to do, and don't worry about trying to predict where this is or when it is. When it happens, we'll know. But you know, the point is that when it happens, it's not that big of a deal. What is the big deal is God's timetable, what He's doing in His saints, and we should be more careful keeping our eyes on Jesus than looking at the waves that are around us. If we look at the waves, we're going to sink. Remember you not that when I was with you I told you these things. Now here we go. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now what does that mean? Throughout my life and my studies and being in church, I have always heard that this was the rapture of the church. And the only thing that's keeping these demoniacs from doing what they're going to do is the good old church. And when the rapture comes, when God takes us up out of here, that then all this stuff is going to happen. It's is the keynote passage for pre-trib doctrine. Well, let's look at this. And let's see what's really being said here. Who is he that now letteth? And how is same term in the Greek? How is that withholding? What does that mean? Well, let's understand it because it involves you and me. If you look at page 2, we'll be going back to page 1, so don't don't obliterate that. Withholdeth and letteth in the King James, of course, is kateko. And this means to have a functional condition, to hold firmly, to hold fast, to give attention to to be possessed or operationally convinced of something to occupy now let's just look at this this he who now letteth and he who withholdeth is not speaking of the Holy Spirit now yes the Holy Spirit is active in this but it's not that and it's certainly not the church We've seen how, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I know a lot of the church. I see it. And if you expect most of them to do, they don't even believe in occupying or being possessed of something or holding firmly or holding fast. They're blown about by everything. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to condemn the church, but... All all these years, we've thought that this was the church, and it's not. It is people like who the saints are supposed to be and the prophets who have a functional, a function right now, who are holding firm, who are holding fast, who are giving attention to that thing, being possessed and operationally convinced of something to occupy till he comes. Look at where this word is katecho is used. It's used in a lot of places. You may want to look at it, but let's just look at a few verses and see where it's used. Luke 8.15 That on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Keep is katecho. Could it be that this teaching of Jesus that speaks about those who are the the fruition of that parable of the soils? Could it be that those that don't let the cares of this world destroy the fruit, that those who spring up and have no root or those who don't really want to hear the word, that 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 those things first three could not be those that are withholding, and that the ones that are withholding, according to the words of Jesus here, are those who have received the word, who are planted, who are producing fruit, and who are faithfully doing uh, out of an honest and good heart. I believe that's true. Let's look at another one. First Corinthians fifteen one and two, moreover, I like that word. Moreover, brethren, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which you have also received, and wherein you stand in your hastemi through the power of the cross, by which also you are saved if you catecho in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. Standing in your histeme and holding fast to what God through his word has apostolically revealed to us. I've never understood, you know, my my heart, everything that in is in me strongly wants to hear what God is revealing in his word. It is a passion in me. And when I hear people, saints, teach from the word, I may not get up and do a belly dance or do handsprings just so that you feel like you've finally rung the bell, but I hear it and I love that. I love the word. And I do not understand how a lot of times the saints could care less whether they hear what God is giving us as pneumatic meat. I don't understand that. Here this passage says that you're, you're going to be able to stand if you hold on to the remembrance of what has been readily preached and taught among us. Whether that's from me as a saint or whether it's from other pastors in this network who regularly bring powerful words. I mean, it, it, this is part of that withholding and, and holding back what the enemy is trying to do in the timetable of God, in his apocalyptic progression. Let's look at another one. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, how are we... In the household of Christ, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Confidence and rejoicing of hope. I remember teaching those initial teachings on hope. I said, Hope is often relegated to faith's ugly sister. And, you know, I thought maybe I should just write a book called Faith's Ugly Sister. But hope is elpis. We've studied this. The, 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 the hope is such a strong thing. It's that seed of faith that's planted in us as we spend time in the heart of God. We've got to hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of what God is putting in us. If you're not spending time with God, how are you are you being reinforced in hope have you forgotten what God has said to you You so often I've heard idiotous Christians say well you know I believe God said that to me but I reckon I was wrong oh I wish it was back like it was in the day when things were so clear I guess that I just was kind of i I I was kind of deceived back then That's nonsense. Ain't nobody got time for that. We are looking, holding fast, confidence in the hope, unto the end. You know, I love it that he says that, unto the end, because it's it's easy to do it at the beginning. It's a challenge to do it in the middle But, boy, when you're getting close to the goal line, you better hold fast your confidence in hope and rejoice in it. Learn how to rejoice. And that's a derivative of grace, remember. Keep focused on the grace of God as it is leading us progressively forward. Let's stay with this topic and look in Hebrews 10, just a few chapters later, verses 22 and 23. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, maybe this would help you not to be toppled in mind. You sprinkle the blood of Jesus over your evil conscience every day, and every one of us has to make sure, search ourselves, to see if there's any wicked way, and the Spirit will help us with that. There's a lot of passages that speaks of that, and sprinkle the blood of Jesus. Boy, you, you, it's not that the blood is, is like a hand sanitizer and you can just get it smeared and all of a sudden it loses its effect. It's not the, the, the problem with the efficacy of the blood. It's the problem that our mind can work overtime. Our evil conscience work will try to work overtime to get in alignment with the world. And, and it's not that we need the blood because the blood has lost its power. We need the fresh sprinkling to remind ourselves, hey, I don't need to be thinking that. I need to be moving the power in the power of this, this cleansing blood, this empowering blood. That's why communion is so important for us to where we continue to drink that cup. It's our commitment to what God has called us to be and to do. It's the New Testament in his blood, and we allow that blood to do its work as we look forward in grace. So the sprinkling from an evil conscience with our bodies washed with pure water, that's just as simple. it's, It's not some Levitical thing where we have to have some some uh, sacrificial water poured over us every day just wait somebody will come up with that you can buy it by the gallon it's probably been distilled in jerusalem Um, this is just saying make sure that your body is in alignment you know washing of water by the word is in the scripture Um, keep make sure that what you're doing in this natural body is aligned with what the scripture affords and, and don't be uh, welcoming other things that would pollute you. But then look at this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. When we were teaching about hope, we said this was a classic miscarriage of translation, because that word, if you look at it, is elpis, which is hope. You hold fast the profession of hope. And in a way, it's faith. In a way, it's faith, because it's the seed of faith. But Um, hope is the womb of faith without wavering for he is faithful who promised you where did he promise? in that place in his heart where the seed of faith was deposited so those are just a few verses that speak about what it means to be withholding and letteth it's not you sitting in a pew paying your tithe telling the world it's going to hell it's actually doing something in conjunction with what God has commissioned us to be as saints and sons in this world as intercessors holding fast and functioning and being convinced That, right there I just don't understand end time scripture I thought I knowed well you can understand this you know, with all the other things that, who's the man of sin? When's he going to be revealed? <laughs> Just keep holding. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. Now what about this? Until he be taken out of the way. What is the way? Mesos, that's middle. That's the middle. God has you in the gap right now. God has you in the sila right now those are in the middle for us those are the two definitions of middle isn't it so what is taken out oh brother that's got to be the rapture is it well what is taken out in the in the new testament it's from ginomai and here's what it means to birth something to become something something to have happened something that is originating something that has attained or arrived at a point now here's a good one because it's the root of ginomai the culmination of the genos what does that mean for us as diversities of tongues people genos Lelia. and very often this is Translated in the New Testament as it came to pass. This is speaking of something that has come into being, that has fulfilled what it is supposed to be fulfilling. It is actualized. And this happens to those who are withholding and letting and as they're standing in the middle. Uh, some places where this word is used, and there are many, Matthew 6.10, Jesus told his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be Genomai in earth as it is in heaven. We are looking for God's will, his progressive will. It doesn't mean it changes. It means that it is, and I shouldn't use that term progressive because progressive, you'd think I'm talking about the regressive church the evolving now maybe not do that because you may think that's Darwinism the enemy's taken a lot of numbers and a lot of letters and a lot of words and just perverted him hasn't he the unfolding let's just say that the unfolding time uh, timely will of God uh, we want it to be actualized and that is a an unfolding thing in our prayer. This is great. Matthew nine twenty nine. Jesus touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, get I it to you. This is something that has been done. Matthew twenty five, six and seven. This is a good one with the end times. The the the, the, the ten virgins. At midnight there was a cry made, me!" Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. You know the rest of that passage. Those that were moros, who did not want to participate in the ongoing musterion of God, um, they, they were left out. But the cry, the timing of God, the cry came. It was actualized. The Lord was coming. Revelation sixteen eighteen, this is a great one too for intercessors. There were ginomai, voices, thunders, lightnings, and there ginomai, a great earthquake, such as ginomai, not since men genomide upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great, so megas. This earthquake is not just gonna hit the San Andreas Fault, it's not just gonna rock those flimsy structures in Haiti. It's not going to, where can you go when there's no San Diego, the whole bit of California falling off into the sea. This is going to be a worldwide quake with tsunamis and disasters, and it's going to be a part of this Voices, Thunders, and Lightnings, but look at all those kinemi, and look at how they are part of the intercessory progression. So, just in these few verses, you have a reference to the, uh, the the virgins waiting for the coming of the Lord. You have prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will, the the unfolding will of God being done. You have in Revelation uh, voices, thunders, and lightnings that generate this shaking, where things are turned upside down for the will of God to be consummated and brought forth this is what is being used here to describe taken out of the middle taken out of here has a nothing to do with the Perusia, has nothing to do with the harpazo has really now it may be in conjunction with the rapture at some point but it ain't talking about rapture here it's talking about you doing your job in the middle you holding fast what withholding and letting now we may not understand the timetable we may not understand and we don't we may not understand much of the flow or the the unfolding of of the end time events themselves but what we do understand is the warning that we be not soon shaken in mind or troubled by spirit, word, or letter. We understand what withholdeth and letteth, will let, means. We understand what mesos means, and we understand what taken out means as saints, don't we? It seems like what's very clear here is an operational partnership between God and and his intercessors between God and those saints who are devoted to the restoration of God. And that's what saints means in Scripture. That's what holy means in Scripture. It goes back to the Old Testament, chag, to where we are wanting what has been perverted, twisted, made unclean, to be turned back toward what God wants. That's what the angels cry when they say holy, and that's what the angels partner with the saints, who have that same name, are desirous of happening. We want what God wants. And so, that is our mission here. Let's keep looking. It gets betterer and betterer. And then, that wicked, animus, lawless, will be revealed, apocalypto. Now, wait a second. Is that the same guy as the man of sin of missing the mark? Why is it then? Then shall that wicked be revealed. There's two revealings here. Well, I think we pretty much see that the man of sin, Hamartia, is already functioning. There are people missing the mark all over the place and saying they're hitting the mark. We're having people just live in... There is no law. It's lawlessness. Even even now, there are other passages that speak about lawlessness in the New Testament. We're seeing things that we thought were laws being totally disregarded and abandoned, aren't we? We're seeing laws that we thought we had as Americans just absolutely be run over and ignored. We've even had recent presidents who said, well, I know this really isn't legal, but I'm doing it anyway, and then put it into motion with an executive order thumbing their nose at the Supreme Court, which is supposed to be a body that enforces and illumines our laws, we're already seeing this. We're seeing agreements that are made around the world that aren't being honored. Pledges that we make to nations and people that that we, by our actions, are plainly saying we're not following. So the man of sin, whoever he may be, as he's born into the midst of ruin and loss, is going to to be able to just walk right in sit right down and um, in fact I don't want to say this because it probably is an individual I'm getting into the weeds here and I need to stay off of them but it could just mean that this is something that humanity man could just be humanity is welcoming and I'm leaning more and more toward that I think this wicked one, this one that comes on the basis of no laws, if, if you are just missing the mark everywhere, and then the wicked one, the animos, the lawless one, is revealed according to the timetable of God, I mean, it, it's obviously two different things, and it's, it's in, a, in the flow pattern, it happens later. Now, what about this? the lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth note that and shall dest- and shall destroy carthagao with the brightness of his parousia even him whose parousia is after the working of satan with all power and signs and wonders with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they we're going to go back to those those underlined ones because they received not the agape of truth oh man everybody's got a truth and agape you know everybody you can find god everywhere he's cosmic (laughs) this is describing them for this god god sends them strong delusion that they would believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. One of the lies the enemy's telling is, how can a loving God judge people? How can a loving God put people in hell? How can a loving... It's, It's crazy. It's crazy things that people say. And it's all part of this lawlessness. It's all part of this missing the mark. They, it's let's let's find every truth that's out there. All truth is from God. That's, I almost said something I shouldn't say, but that. How about baloney? That's baloney. That's 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 just so ridiculous. But if people bring that, if people embrace that, they don't have a love for the one truth of God. Um, and subsequently they aren't saved, God will give them over to strong delusion. We're seeing that now. They're believing lies. It's 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 almost as if they're possessed, but it might just be that they've chosen this pathway and God is just letting them have this strong delusion. Sometimes that's demonically driven. Doctrines of devils, are among us, friends. But one thing I've learned just in dealing with religious leaders, the, sometimes the enemy doesn't need to waste any energy. People are capable of a lot of wickedness, even holy people, or quote-unquote holy people. So um, that's what you're seeing. That's a very clear thing for the truth generation and um, the strong delusion that's there, the lawlessness, and the, uh, the really the wickedness that's there. But let's go back. This wicked being revealed, this lawless one, in the time timing of God. There's two timings, and you notice that when he comes, you've got the Lord in a parousia, and the enemy also in a parousia. Now, wait a second, Pastor Ron. I've always been taught that the parousia is the rapture. Well, if it is the rapture, then how is this wicked one a part of it? Let's let's look at parousia in in some of the uh, uh, scriptures on page 4. And now, page four. And okay, we're going to go back and forth here um, a bit because we see at the bottom of page three that the Lord is going to destroy this being or this influence with the brightness of his coming. Uh, Destroy, carargeo, to put out of action, to remove, replace what is transient in scripture. The enemy throughout scripture, the enemy attempts to apply this word, this action, into things that are necessary for the continuation of divine salvation. And what I mean by that is the enemy this is just this word just basically means to put out of action and to to render uh, not functional. It's like the enemy would come and try to stop people from following uh, the scripture or following a clean life. And he would try to eliminate by virtue of this influence, this word, things that are necessary for us to keep growing in the Lord. So when the Lord comes against this man of wickedness, this destruction that the Lord out of his mouth is going to do, to to eliminate a lot of these transient things to replace things that are there that serve that attempt to serve a purpose so the enemy comes and he tries to eliminate things that serve a purpose for you to keep growing and when the lord comes in in this regard he's going to put out of action a lot of the things that enemy was relying along up, upon to try to fulfill his di- diabolical purpose. I don't know how this is going to happen, but it's going to happen out of his mouth, out of the Lord's mouth. And we'll talk about out of his mouth here in a minute, so just stay with it. Okay? We're almost done. We're almost done. So take a big breath. The brightness is an epiphany. That's all. It's, it's epiphaneia, which means a, a A realization, something that enlightens us, and we know, ah, I've had an epiphany. Here it is. Oh, yes, this makes sense now. So, part of his coming is going to be a realization, and it's going to destroy the enemy, and it's going to come out of the words of his mouth. All right, let's look at Parousia in Scripture, some of the places. Now, let's first of all clarify what. what the what the normal um, belief about the rapture is revelation one seven behold he cometh ercomai not parusia with clouds, every eye shall see him, they also which pierced him, all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so amen so erai is is a very important word. And it it, it is uh, it is a word that I think we need to to truly um, do some some study on. We obviously since we're at an hour now, we don't have really time. you could do this study for yourself and um, it 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 speaks about the coming in clouds and several times, in the scripture uh, it it is it is used to describe what this coming would be that's is not our purpose to to, dis, to to discover that fully today but it, it basically means to come and to go to come to or towards to to return as like that would used to describe of a ship that sails away and comes back um, it's 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 a unique word, but it has more to do with um, I would say um, fulfilling somewhat of a promise. Um, it 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 means to go away or to come back, and, and it really it it really has more to do with the fulfillment of the Lord's promise. If I go, I will come again. Um, it it there's nothing theatrical or bombastic or electric about it even though when it actually happens it will be but it has this word means i guess you could say hey he said he was coming back and he is coming back with clouds now 1st Thessalonians 4:16 is probably the closer the closer um th- word that we would associate with what we would think the rapture would be. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, and this is caught up. It's harpazo. It's not urkomai. It is certainly not parousia. It means to be seized by force. This word was used to describe the kingdom of heaven suffering violence and the violence taking it by force. So it's something that you, you reach in and you, you grab out like a harpoon was used, had a hook on it. So you would plunge it in and you would pull it pull out whatever creature you were trying to catch in the sea by force. And and that you know, but but when you see that word used, uh, it it speaks more about the eclectos. Than anything else, those that are really functioning as an ecclesia, those that are really um, not just the ecclesia, but those who are operatives. And so, um, let's let's look at Revelation 19: 11 through 16. It's there for you. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, clean, white and clean. And out of his mouth, here is his mouth, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He tread the wide press of his fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. He has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The reason we look at this is that we, we only think of the clouds as being caught up and going into heaven. And we we think he's going to appear in a white horse and we're going to see him. Every eye is going to see. And there's being a trumpet call and the dead in Christ rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain. But there's, what about this Lord coming to destroy out of his mouth, what he says, this sharp sword and all of the, who are all these people clothed in white linen, uh, coming with him, white and clean, or as Don Parda would say, in a white charger, there's going to be some warfare with this coming. And I think we jumble it all together, which we have a tendency to do, and I've called it a nematocast stew. I mean, we just put these things in it together. It's like goulash, Holy Ghost goulash. We just throw it all into a pot and we say, oh, it all means the same. It all means this, because it preaches good on a hot night in South Carolina in a revival meeting. He could come at any time, friends. Are you right with God? It serves that purpose. And we we totally do away with what we're going to read next. And we have some time here. We're only two minutes after. You can look at this later. But in, in Matthew chapter 24, let's begin reading at verse 21. This is not on your sheet. So don't have an apoplectic fit. You have your Bible. I was I didn't want to print all this for you. But it's 24-21. It's Jesus has been talking about the gospel of the kingdom being preached. Verse 14, In all the world, for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the world end come. And then we see a reference to what Daniel prophesied. And, um... We're trying our best to preach the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world. We're not preaching the gospel of equity. We're not preaching the gospel of inclusivity. We're not preaching the gospel of let's go out and, and uh, do kind actions, even though we should. We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Some of you used to know what that meant. So you need to shake yourself in mind and get back at it. But then we come down here to verse 24. There will arise false Christs, false prophets, shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. We haven't seen the false prophets doing great signs and wonders yet. We've seen a lot of nonsense, false Christ's bringing, and many of the very elect have fallen for it. God, help us when the signs and wonders start. These are the words of Jesus. So, I think they still are in many of your Bibles. You haven't torn them out yet, because these are in red. Um, The very elect be deceived. I have told you before, wherefore, if they shall go unto you, say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, don't go forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. My question is, which coming is this? Is it, is it the coming on the white horse where he's going with the words of his mouth, with, a, with an epiphany of the parousia, which parousia really just means coming near coming near. Now this word, whithersoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. We can talk about that one later. That's not our purpose for the day. We're past time anyway. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her life, the the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be taken. And then shall appear, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Wait a second, I think the Lord's confused here. Let's just read here. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Now therefore learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation, this genus shall not pass Till all these things be fulfilled heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away but of that day and hour knoweth no man no not the angels of heaven but my father only but as the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of son of man be and it goes on from there verse 42 watch you know not what hour your Lord does come There's a lot of stuff there. There are tribulations and then a coming of the Lord. There's other factors going on that are cataclysmic and then the Lord gathers up his elect from the four corners. Holy moly. This is is amazing. But no man knows the hour. So just stop trying to figure it all out and teach it. I know it rouses some people up. I remember a a very dear single mother was part of our church some 35 years ago, or 30, I think it was 33 years ago. And she came up to me and said she couldn't keep staying at our church because I would not speak about the second coming in the end times. There's some people that are just addicted to that. And they hold on to it like it's God's holy trousers. and But if you can't in, in real conscience read what Jesus says here and all these thens and the different progressions that are there and say that you your, your doctrinal charts are really what's going to happen. So what do we know? we need to stay strong. We need to withhold and be that force of letting. We need to stand in the middle until in God's apocalyptic timetable, God says, okay, it's time this has been actuated. Now I'm going to move you over and now this next thing is going to happen. The, the the taking out of the way doesn't mean you're going anywhere. You're transitioning if we read the scripture according to what it really means. And we need to be those that are s- serving God as intercessors and knowing that somehow, while the, myst- the mysterion of iniquity is going on, we're praying the mystery, the mysterion of God. And God is using his, his earthly sons and daughters, his sons and daughters, to, um, to intercede with him and to continue to move in his rhema. So I guess I close with this. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening in the world today. And I think that there are end time implications and we're seeing things laid out right now that are going to set the stage for many of the things we've just read. And we don't need to be worried about dates or times. We need to be as the fig tree. We need to be as Noah. Why why the fig tree? What have we studied about the fig tree that represents in scripture Spending time with God and gaining revelation from Him and also being a first fruits of what He's wanting to do. That's what the fig tree represents. We've studied that a lot. Noah, we need to be working while the world is doing whatever they're doing, partnering with demons, doing whatever they are uh, wickedly doing. We need to keep building what we're supposed to be building. And it's not a big boat this time. It's whatever it is that God is asking for us to be as his nuach representatives. That's what Noah is, nuach. So just do what you're supposed to do and hold fast. And don't be soon troubled in mind or shaken in mind or shaken by spirit or by word or by some other doctrine there's a lot of stuff that I don't like that I see. There's a lot of things that irritate me as a human being, as a Christian, and as an American. There's a lot of things that I'm embarrassed by in the world. There's a lot of things that I see that I just can't believe I'm seeing. And I wonder, how long, oh Lord? But through all of that and all that is to come, we are a people who are partnering with God in the gap. We're partnering with God in the Sila. We are interceding. We're holding fast those things that we believe. We're holding on to hope. And through that, God, in combination with his his apocalypsis, his time flow, is, is using us to affirm his kingdom and to stand against wickedness. And that is the essence of spiritual warfare, my dear friends. And at some point, calamitous things are going to happen. We're going to see things revealed. We're going to see lying signs and wonders, and we've got to keep doing these things that the Word of God says we need to do. Is it going to be easy? No, I don't think so. Any more than now is easy. It's going to be less easy, but it's it's if we stay close to God and keep a hold on what we need to do and be see we need to be a lot less worried about what's coming and more concerned with what we're doing right now trust in the Lord keep our eyes on him so anyway uh, I just felt that this was what God wanted us to share we've gone way past time I apologize for that but may let's let's study this and let's dig deep into it and let the lord be our guide i speak blessing over you i'm thankful to be able to be partnering with you as saints and may god keep you we'll look forward to the next time we can be together goodbye